Chapter 12 The Final Curtain 21 to 66 CE By Blood a King, in Heart a Clown Alfred Lord Tennyson King Amanda Gamani Abaya's ascent to the throne in 21 CE was both fair and orderly. Even so, the dynastic DNA had long before morphed into a penchant for regicide, and in 30 CE this fatal habit was to reappear, heralding the dynasty's final moments, ones that not even the most sensational or improbable soap operas could ever hope to emulate. There was little if any warning, it all just happened. Kanu Juna Tissa, the king's brother, waited just nine years before wielding the family knife, killing his sibling in 30 CE and seizing the throne for himself. Proving right the old adage that one's crimes eventually catch up with you, Karen Juna Tissa's own reign was terminated after just three suspiciously short and turbulent years, when in 33 CE, Chula Abaya, son of the assassinated Aman Gaman Abaya, became king. He is down in the records as having died naturally, though this might credibly require a reworking of that word's definition. Chula Abaya managed to last a little longer, but pragmatists now sensibly took to counting reigns in multiples of months, not years. Three years later, in 35 CE, Chula Abaya II was dead, and his sister, Sivali, took the throne in 35 CE. The accession of Sri Lanka's second female head of state, Queen Sivali, in 35 CE, probably did more to hasten rather than slow down the Vijayan dynasty's final tryst with oblivion. What she lacked in the bloodthirsty and ruthless qualities that had so marked out Anula, the country's first female ruler, she did not seem to be able to make up for with any resolute authority. But perhaps it was already all too late for that. For decades now, the kingdom's rulers had demonstrated a greater interest in seizing the throne than ever ruling it with wisdom or strength. Sivali's reign laid bare the incipient civil war that had been raging through the Paris corridors earlier. The only difference this time was that the dynasty suddenly found itself with another dynasty to deal with, the Lambakana, and not just with itself, exhausting enough as that was. Sivali bobs up and down in the months succeeding her ascension, vying for control of the state in what looks like a three-cornered struggle between herself, her nephew Ilanaga, and the Lambakanas. Little about this period of Sri Lankan history is certain, except that from around 35 CE to 38 CE, civil war preoccupied the entire country and left it without any plausible government. For a time, Ilanga seemed to be ahead of the pack. But then he seemed to have scored a perfect own goal when he demoted the entire Lambukana clan for failing to attend to him in what he regarded as a right and proper fashion. This abrupt change in their caste in a country held increasingly rigid by ideas of caste galvanised them into full-scale rebellion. The king, if king he really was, fell and fled into hill country, returning three years later 
at the head of a borrowed Cholo army to take back his throne in 38 CE. The Labakana clan were put back in their place, though it was to prove but a temporary place at best. Ilanga's reign lasted another seven years before his son, Chandramurka Siva, succeeded in 44 CE. Despite the chaos of this period of Sri Lankan history, and not without a little irony, it is astonishing to record how one of these last Fijian kings, probably Ilanga or his son Chandramukha Siva, still managed to find time to send an embassy to Rome. Pliny the Elder records the event, which occurred at some point in the reign of the luckless Emperor Claudius, 41-54 to 54 CE. And at almost the same time, a reciprocal one seemed to have happened back in Sri Lanka with the probably accidental arrival of a Roman called Anias Polycamus. Evidence of links between the two kingdoms can be found in both countries. Archaeologists working near the Via Cassia, north of Rome, identified an eight-year-old mummy from the second half of the 10th century CE they called Gotranossa. Amongst her artefacts was a necklace of 13 sapphires from Sri Lanka. And dating a few decades before this in Sri Lanka, there is unmistakable evidence of Roman influences in the Abagiri monastery site in Arandanapura. Here, nestling amongst the sculptured carvings of elephants and bulls, are to be found winged cupids and griffins and acanthus leaves common on almost all Greek and Roman art. Back in Rome, as the Emperor Claudius was getting ready to be murdered by his wife, Agrippina, so ushering in the calamitous reign of Nero, back in Sri Lanka, King Ilanaga's son and successor, Chandramukha Siva, was facing the same fate in 52 CE, albeit at the hands of his own brother, Yasalakatissa in 52 CE. The stage was now set for one of the most eccentric periods of island governance. With the ascension of the regicidal Yasalakatissa, the last chorus of the Vijayan throne sounded in Frank Sinatra style. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. With a story too pathetic to be encumbered by any inconvenient disbelief, the Mahamvasa recounts the bizarre end of this once great dynasty. It says, Now a son of Datta, the gate watchman, named Subra, who was himself a gate watchman, bore a close likeness to the king. And this palace guard, Subra, did the king, Yasalaka, in jest, bedeck with the royal ornaments and place upon the throne, and binding the guard's turban about his head, and taking himself his place, staff in hand, at the gate, he made merry over the ministers, as they paid homage to Subra, sitting on the throne. Thus was he wont to do from time to time. Now one day the guard cried out to the king, who was laughing, Why does this guard laugh in my presence? And Subra, the guard, ordered to slay the king, and he himself reigned here six years under the name Subaraja. Dispatched by his own lookalike, Yasalakatissa, the last Vijayan king, died on hopes seeing the unexpectedly funny side of assassination. King Subra's own reign lasted six years, when, wetted by a three-year rule back in 35 CE, the Lambrukana clan took royal matters back into their own hands and put the ex-palace guard to death. After 609 years, 
for the Jain dynasty had come to an inglorious end. Despite a rich choice of murderous would-be rulers, kings such as Vijaya, Pandakubaya, Mutavisa, Divan Pietisa and Dutagemenu had been able to establish the confidence, culture and mindset of an entire nation, giving it the ballast and energy necessary to propel itself forward for centuries to come. With a writ running at times across the entire island, they transformed a series of unremarkable warring statelets and villages into a nation. They bequeathed it with a legacy of literature, architecture, religion and infrastructure that no other dynasty bettered. Looking out at water, rippling still over the great tanks they built with cutting-edge engineering, Sitting in the shade of the magnificent palaces and courts constructed at Arandanapura, reading inscriptions that point to the bounty of trade routes extending from the island to places as far away as Rome. In the ancient chants of Buddhist priests, the coinage, the delicate statutory, frescoes and books that survive to this day. In taking all of this in, you take as said an early nation every bit as impressive as any in the ancient world and way ahead of most. Its laws regulated a dynamic state. Its armies and weapons defended it with a rigour that was effective. Even as they disappeared from history, the achievements of the Vijayans lay before them the indispensable foundations of an entire island nation-state.